Hey guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard? Uh, it is June 18th, I think, and uh, Friday here in Omaha, Nebraska. We, we are coming off of an incredibly rough day yesterday. We had temperatures in the triple digits, 104, 106, something like that. And I, you know, I've been speaking to some of my clients this morning just to check in and see how they did. And, um, you know, fortunately, many of them just kind of pulled the plug early yesterday and sent their folks home. Others were really making a concerted effort to try to keep them hydrated and, and cool and, you know, the water rest shade thing. So hopefully everybody has made it through this week. I know that it's hot everywhere. And so uh, hopefully everyone had a good week and you've gotten your employees through in good shape. Um, I know today even is supposed to be in the 90s. So one more day here in Omaha of heat, and then I think we're supposed to get a break. So uh, the other thing that was mentioned yesterday when I was speaking to some folks was that if you do have a kind of a heat illness issue, you know, you get a little bit behind on your hydration or get a little bit sick, uh, it might take a few days to come back from that. So if you've got guys coming back to work today that maybe adjourned early or maybe even left because they weren't feeling well, just keep in mind that they may not be 100% today. So keep your eyes on them, look out for each other, and, and we'll make it through. Um, this episode is being brought to you, as always, by three incredible, incredibly generous um, business people, friends of mine, um, Cheyenne Wolford of Custom Concrete Specialists, John Fallowich of Fallowich Construction Services, and Jim Cover of the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group. Thank you, guys. Your uh, support is much appreciated. And I do want to mention that uh, Aaron Cerrone and all of our my friends and uh, family from Mid-America Martial Arts are over in Des Moines this weekend. It is the uh, Muay Thai Nationals. So these young people that have been training in Muay Thai for whatever length of time, I guess they're all over there trying to see what they've learned. And uh, good luck to everyone over there. I hope everybody comes out of it in one piece. It is... Um, it is an interesting experience the first time that you step into a ring in a pair of shorts and uh, so there's a person across the ring from you that's trying to pound your ribs flat. That is a totally different experience, man. And, um, I, I remember it vaguely from many, many years ago. And um, so congratulations for having the courage to get into the ring, and I hope you do well. And uh, whether you win or not, you know, come home in one piece. So good job, Aaron. Uh, I look forward to hearing how everybody did. Um, I'm here with Cam. It's just Cam and me today. So, uh, Cam, you are actually the guest, if uh, if that's all right. <laughs> Glad to be here. Feel, yeah. free to, feel free to jump in. I noticed you're, you're rocking the shirt today, the, the uh, Muay Thai shirt. Yep. This yeah. is something Aaron gave me uh, on Thursday. Man, yeah. it's really sharp. This it's is basically like the gym. This is in Thai. I believe this is expresses the name of the gym. And then there's some other motivational terms on there. I don't read Thai. Um, but yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's oh, cool. I'm happy. To, I'm shirt. happy to be wearing it. Yeah, it is really a challenge for me to come in with come up with new interesting T-shirts every Friday. <laughs> since, yeah, I don't want to wear the same. I typically would wear the same T-shirt every day, but um, since we take a picture and post that, <laughs> Friday, there's a lot of pressure it. on yeah. Fridays, man. I got to find. I'm, I'm like ordering T-shirts off of the web to try to get <laughs> anybody got a Todd Rundgren T-shirt I can borrow. I'd you know be happy to wear it. But you know, before we get started on the topic today. I do want to mention a couple things, and I, and I was going to start off with kind of a rant of things that drive me crazy, um, but I'm not really in a ranting mood necessarily, so I just do want to comment on a few things. I have noticed that most of the things that do drive me cr crazy uh, involve driving, you know, um, and, and I'm in workplaces every every day, 
And yes, we're all, we're all trying to do our best to identify hazards and, and take steps to address those things. And it does drive me crazy occasionally when employees are doing things that they are they are well versed in, they know better, and maybe they're just taking shortcuts. And that, that can be a little bit, you know, um, upsetting, I guess, at times. But, hey, you know, we all do that from time to time. But this driving thing really does present a challenge for me. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I, I'm just not very tolerant in the car. And it just seems like pe- drivers have gotten worse. That I think people are just, well, there is this thing that, I, that I'm concerned about that people sometimes just feel like the rules don't apply to them, you know, in all facets of life, but particularly in the car. I don't need to signal when I'm turning or changing lanes. I don't need to... You know, I know that you've, you've, you've allowed that little gap between you and the car in front of you, but I'm going to take it anyway. So I want to be one car length ahead, so I'm going to pull in in front of you. And the older I get, you know, my, my reaction time is worsening. Obviously, I can tell. And so all of this erratic driving really kind of freaks me out, man. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not handling it very well. Yeah, my favorite is the, uh, when, you, when somebody zips around you. And uh-huh. then you meet him at the stoplight. Yeah, like, literally oh, two miles up the road. Hey, look at that. We're the same place, <laughs> right. man. But they were just darting in and out <laughs> oh, and yeah. in and out. And yeah. you're like, that is so dangerous. But the one thing I do notice, and, and maybe you've had the same experience, and, and this is really more of a work-related issue, is that when I'm driving through neighborhoods, not necessarily on a highway or, or a, a road like that, maybe under those circumstances, but if I'm driving through neighborhoods and there is a service vehicle parked on the street, um, they, they have, over the last few years, they have started putting cones out, but the challenge that I have is they put the cone out, like, right behind their bumper, you know, so I come around the corner this morning, um, I drive kind of this winding road to get to work in the morning, I come around this corner, and there is literally a service vehicle parked right in the middle of the road, it's a two-lane road, there's oncoming traffic, and I'm coming around this corner, and I'm on top of this truck, and there is a cone out literally touching the back bumper of the truck. Now, if you were really concerned about me striking you, you would put that cone further up the road so I would have some type of a, an alert that you're going to be there, right? I mean, I, I know these guys probably don't enjoy having to put the cones out, but if you're going to do that, if you're going to go to the trouble of doing that, just consider the fact that I'm coming around the corner at 30 miles an hour or whatever it is, and I'm right on top of you. If, if I don't see that cone at least 15, 20 feet before I reach your vehicle, there, you know, there's a problem. So, you know, and I see this with, you know, with the landscaping guys and with the utility guys and, you know, the guys that are unloading all of their mowing equipment. They leave the trailer right in the middle of the road or something, man. And so... Have you experienced this? Oh, of course. Or you yeah. know what I'm talking it's about? It's like, yeah, why don't you put that cone out there so at least for your own safety. Yeah, you yeah. You know, if nothing else. I don't want to smash you. let me know that you're there. Exactly. So, yeah. I, I know, man. That, that, that seems like a trivial thing, and may, maybe that's just me. But um, if, if you are, in fact, interested in surviving that, that day, <laughs> you know, just put that cone maybe a little bit further up the road so I know that. I know that you're going to be there when I come around the corner. Anyway, okay, I'm whining now. Well, I, suppose, I mean that but. that leads me to the the whole parking issue, like the guy that parks in two spaces. Oh yes, you know that guy. Oh yeah, because he's got a gigantic truck and he can't figure it out anyway. It's like <laughs> right. okay, bro, if you if you can't fit into one spot, maybe you need a smaller vehicle. I, I say that. Six times a day. I take pictures of those guys and I put them on the internet just that. to shame them a little bit. Absolutely, they'll I never totally see agree. it. But, you know, 
You've got an F950 something, something, something all jacked up, and you can't get into your parking place. It's yeah. too big. Or, God forgive me, you know, the woman that's driving the XL Suburban or something mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm not sure she could see behind that vehicle if she had to, I mean, it's just so yeah. big. Yeah, it's usually at the gas stations. Like, yes. oh, the two spots in front, you had to take those two <laughs> right. spots. Like, one's almost handicapped. Exactly. Like, you're, you're really messing up a lot of things for a lot of people. At That's that exactly right, man. <laughs> yeah, if you can't manage that vehicle, then maybe get yourself a smaller vehicle. You know, I don't know. Oh, well, man. Anyway, I'm with you. I'm totally with you on all but of these things. But we digress. We should. I think there's a, a place for shaming people that do those things, though. I think that's perfectly appropriate. Yeah. I don't have any problem with that. Um, Last week, Jim Steele was on the program, and we talked about training. And it was really interesting. Uh, As many of you know, Jim Steele, he's the safety manager at Air Like Plastics. And he really does – he's a really creative guy, which is what I appreciate about him. He understands that much of what we talk about in safety can be fairly boring and repetitious. And so he he makes a concerted effort to make it interesting and make it effective. And he has some really great techniques, and he – he shared some stories with us last week about some of the things that they do, some of the mock scenarios that they'll set up and stuff like that. You know, the guy laying in the middle of the plant floor, faking an injury, hopefully. Oh, him and, tell those stories were just great. <laughs> were I was, I was laughing over here just so hard. He's like, that's some good stuff. That's, you know, you, you make a memory, and that's how you, you know, people remember those types of boring training. You that's know? exactly right. It's boring training, but at least if you – you know, put it in their brain with a memory like that. That's right. They're going to remember that forever. I totally agree. Yeah. It is memorable, and, and he does a great job with that. So I thought today we would just continue on in, the, in that training discussion. We could probably carry this on for a number of different episodes, but there is an OSHA piece to this that I kind of want to discuss. There, you know, there are some mandatory training requirements per OSHA that everyone needs to be aware of probably, and, and while if you're fixated on OSHA compliance, you may not be creating those memories in the training. You know, let's not, let's not look at this simply as a, a, a matter of compliance. But, you know, there are some things that we need to be aware of. So I just wrote some notes down on the drive over. Well, I, I was stopped. Okay, I don't I want to be that asshole that's <laughs> talk about safety, right? driving and, and, and uh, <laughs> writing his, you know. So I do have a few notes. I thought we would just talk about a few of these things. Um. And, and Jim mentioned this last week, the difference between education and training. There is a difference, and I actually printed off something from the dictionary this morning. I won't, I won't kill you with this stuff, but uh, one, one, edu- one uh, definition of education, an enlightening experience. So um, not necessarily a skill, not a skill builder necessarily, but just information, just kind of an enlightening experience, and I think that's truly what education usually is. Training, on the other hand, has been defined as the action of teaching a person or animal a particular skill or type of behavior, okay? And so one of them, we're just imparting some information, and the other, we're actually teaching a skill. And I I think you could, uh, you know, a good analogy for this would be my college experience, you know? I was in college for nine years, man, okay? And I have no skills, okay? you're not a doctor? I I have no (laughs) skills. I am not a doctor. I am actually nothing, truthfully. Um, I have no skills, and I, and I watch people all the time doing different work activities in these work environments, incredibly talented people doing incredibly important work, and I, I have no skills. And I realized, but I do have an education. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I have nine years of education, but no skills. How is that even possible? I don't know. I guess my skills would be, 
you know, I, I am a decent writer. I do know how to write. I, I have, you know, I can communicate, complete, make, you know, complete a full sentence on occasion. Those, that must be my skill set, I guess, you know. So, um, but it is different. And so when we are looking at our training in an occupational setting, we need to be aware of the fact that there is information and we may be imparting information, but there is also training and there is a difference, and we need to acknowledge that difference. I guess that was the point of that whole rambling gibberish. But um, just a few things that I wrote down uh, as notes. OSHA expects that training be in a language and in a manner that the employees can understand. So many of us um, work with employees whose first language is not English, and uh, that can make training, particularly training, very difficult. So we do need to consider that and make sure that we are providing this training in a language and at a level that our employees can understand. Not all of them have technical backgrounds necessarily, and there is a lot of technical terminology in what we discuss. So just make sure that if, um, depending on the audience or even a, a, a variable audience, that we are imparting this training information, you know, understandably and at a level that they can comprehend. And, and again, that's going to require a little adjustment from time to time. I mean, maybe a little bit of uh, background or research, those types of things. So keep that in mind. That is something that while I was with OSHA, we actually focused fairly heavily on to make sure that the employees who did, whose first language was not English were getting trained in a language they could understand. Um, there is some language in some of the OSHA regulations that talks about verification that there is an expectation that we verify the effectiveness of this training through some means, whether that would be some type of, very commonly, maybe a quiz or something at the end of that training to make sure that the employees are picking up on some of that information. That's very common. Um, you'll find this language in uh, the lockout-tagout standard, for example. It'll say verify that the employees have acquired this knowledge. That may also be some type of observational thing where you go out and watch them doing these work activities to make sure that they picked up on it, that they understand it. But I think verification is really an important part of this. When we talk about verification, you know, and lockout, tagout, I mean, one of the most important steps of energy control is the verification piece. One of the most important steps in training is the verification piece that we can that we are comfortable that the employees are getting it. And so, you know, I mean, doing the training, you know, that initial training is important, but then figuring out how are we going to verify that they actually understand it, that, that is really critical. And that may come, you know, 30 days later, 60 days later, 90 days later, whatever that is, whatever that period is, we may need to just, you know, make sure that we are intently uh, observing our employees or going back to the employees and re-quizzing them or something to make sure that they have retained that information. So OSHA doesn't tell us how we have to do that, but I think there is an expectation that we're doing this verification piece. Retraining, um, that's a big part of this OSHA stuff too. Um, we are required as the employer to surveil our workplace, keep an eye on the employees, make sure that they are following our rules as as best they can, and retraining whenever we identify inadequacies or deficiencies. And you will find that language specifically in some of the regulations, respiratory protection, uh, powered industrial trucks. There is very specific language about retraining. And so when you do observe a deficiency or we've had an incident perhaps or a near miss, make sure that you are 
if not immediately, soon thereafter, doing some retraining. It might only be for that one issue. You know, it might be for honking your horn as you are, you know, passing through on your forklift, you know, from area to area, whatever that is. But I know some of the compliance officers, if, if there has been an incident or there has been some note of this deficiency and you're not doing retraining before you put them back on the lift, those are citable issues. And so, yeah, I would, I would pay attention and make sure that we are getting that retraining accomplished. All right. And, and again, that, that makes this much more complicated. There's a lot of work involved in doing this correctly. But keep in mind that, that um, if it's not working correctly, if, if the training was inadequate or if retention was inadequate or maybe just too much time has passed and recollection is that inadequate, make sure that we are doing that retraining. All right. Um, I do want to take a minute and mention one of our supporters. One, this is kind of a new new part of the program. Um, you know, our sponsors, first and foremost, we love those guys, and they are, they're, they're first, the first people that get attention at the start of the show. But um, there are a number of small business people in the community that have offered their support of the podcast. Maybe they aren't interested in being a sponsor necessarily. These are people that offer services, I think, that are really important to all of us. Um, we introduced Kristen Hodge last week. Uh, Kristen's company is Hinco, H-I-N-C-O. Um, Kristen is all things orthopedic injury prevention. She does things like ergonomics, stretching programs, safety training, spine health, proper lifting. And, and these are things that every company that I work with would benefit from, Okay. Um, every company, whether you're in general industry, whether you were in construction, healthcare, your employees have issues with ergonomics, with back health, things like that, sprains and strains. And so um, I think everybody should put Kristen on their, I was going to say Rolodex, I'm not sure that even exists anymore, <laughs> maybe in their contact list, is that, oh my God. Maybe uh, your contact list. Krista needs to be on your contact list. And I, I would highly recommend reaching out to her at some point and just communicating with her about how she might be able to help you with some of these things. She has an interesting background. She was trained in, uh, I think, as an athletic trainer, athletic performance. And, um, you know, all of our employees, whether we're in a manufacturing setting or a construction setting, they are... They are athletes to, to some degree. They are out there performing, and we want to keep them at peak performance levels, obviously. So I think you should reach out to Kristen, uh, discuss with her how she might be able to help you keep your employees performing at that highest level. So uh, her company, again, is Hinco, H-I-N-C-O, and you can reach Kristen at Kristen, which is K-R-I-S-T-I-N, at HincoSolutions.com, or check out her website, www.hincosolutions.com. Anyway, reach out to Kristen, see if she can't help you. Kristen, thanks for your support, and um, we appreciate what you're doing for all of those folks out there. All right, thanks, man. I appreciate the reminder. Um, let's get back to this training topic. There are actually regulations within the OSHA codes uh, that require interactive training, an opportunity for question and answer. For example, bloodborne pathogens. It it very clearly states that that the students will have an opportunity to interact with the trainer, and so you know this eliminates the um, put a video in, close the door, let them watch a video type of training. 
And, you know, frankly, that may be part of what you're doing from a training standpoint, but I would think with all of the training that we're doing, it would be important to, uh, to provide some opportunity for interaction, for question and answer, for discussion. It's always so much more interesting and informative and probably useful if we have that piece. But definitely I have seen situations while I was with OSHA that if your training, particularly with bloodborne pathogens, just consisted of a video, you, you were violating the requirements of the regulations. So keep that in mind. Everybody is going to be, there is no one size fits all for this training, unfortunately. And OSHA doesn't do a great job of summarizing all these training requirements. It's up to us as employers to look at the regulations that pertain to us, to determine what the training requirements are. In all likelihood, we may need to go above and beyond what their training requirements are, okay, um, to ensure that our employees understand the hazards that they're going to be facing in the work environment and have a reasonable method or approach for working safely. So interaction, I think, is a big part of that. Um, frequency, how often do we have to do this training? Again, again, that's not always clearly communicated. The OSHA regulations will oftentimes address that, whether this needs to be done initially at the time of hire or you know, immediately before they might have exposure to a particular hazard or if it has to be done annually or if it has to be done on some other frequency. And so, unfortunately, again, the employer needs to dig into the regulations to make that determination. There is no one document or location that really summarizes this particularly well. You know, your insurance provider or some other um, uh, support provider, some company that does this for you might have summarized these things. Uh, on your behalf, but OSHA has not really done so very well. So just keep in mind, everybody needs to be trained uh, about a hazard that they may confront in the work environment before they have that exposure. So, which is why we, we talk about employee orientation. You know, you put them through some type of a basic orientation, typically, before they go out into the workplace or before they are unaccompanied in the workplace. Okay, so... Hazard communication, as an example, this is our chemical safety regulation, 1910-1200, and it basically says that you will train employees before they have an initial exposure to a chemical in the work environment. They need to understand the hazards of that chemical and how to protect themselves before that exposure. So every standard, every hazard that your employees are potentially exposed to will require that level of training, that initial training. There are some regulations that require annual training, okay? For example, and this is not an all-inclusive list, but bloodborne pathogens, respiratory protection, hearing conservation, even this, you know, access to exposure and medical records regulation, these things all require that you train your employees on an annual basis, okay? And we will say annual is within 365 days. So if I do it on June 18th, 2021, it is going to be, it is going to need to be accomplished again on or before June 18th of 2022, okay? Uh, that's what OSHA typically refers to as annual, 365 days. But the truth is very few regulations require annual training. Most of the regulations require that initial training, okay, pre-exposure training, and then retraining on an as-needed basis. So if we have an issue, if we identify a deficiency, then we need to do that retraining. 
uh, it doesn't necessitate or doesn't mandate that we do it on an annual basis. And that's the vast majority of regulations, things like hazard communication, lockout, tagout, those very important regulations, very significant regulations, don't have an annual training requirement. Confined space entry is another one. They do not require annual training. But, you know, in my opinion, that doesn't, I'm not suggesting that it's not important to do the training annually. In fact, it probably is, or even more frequently, depending on, you know, what you're doing in your work environment. So, you know, keep in mind what OSHA requires and what we need to be doing for our employees, you know, don't always totally overlap, okay? Sometimes, uh, well, for example, I have a number of clients that do annual training on topics that don't require annual training. They have identified things that they think are significant in their work environment that might be, you know, electrical safety or lockout, tagout, or what have you. OSHA doesn't mandate it, but they, re- they revisit that training on an annual basis, okay? I personally think that's a good idea. You know, there are some things that we probably don't need to revisit all the time, they may be less significant hazards in our work environment, but there are certainly some things that don't require it, but they are so significant, the exposures are potentially really catastrophic that it's important to go back and talk about those things, okay? Um, there's language that says when things change, we need to retrain. And so, you know, that could be things like hazard communication. You introduce a new chemical that your employees are unfamiliar with. Maybe the hazards are new we would need to train the employees at that time. And so that could certainly be out of a a regular frequency. That might be, you know, you've done training in January, and now in February you've introduced this new hazard, this new chemical, and you would have to repeat training at least specifically for that chemical. So when things change, that could also be something like an emergency action plan. You know, where do we go in the event of a fire? Where do we go if we have a hazardous chemical spill? Where do we shelter in place? If those things change in your organization, then that training needs to be updated. And that may, again, may not be on an annual or periodic, recurring periodic basis. It just needs to happen when it needs to happen. Um, There are regulations that require periodic training. Powered industrial trucks, forklifts, for example. We do that initial training, okay? And then every three years, we have to recertify that our employees are continue to be permitted to operate forklifts, that they're still operating safely. And so that is more of an observational piece. We have to certify that. OSHA does not require that we start from the beginning and put them back through the entire training. Some people elect to do that, but the real expectation is that we evaluate our employees, our operators. We are comfortable that they are still competent, that they've been operating safely and then we can recertify them to continue operating for another three-year period. So, um, again, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of these training requirements are kind of all over the board, and it does require a little bit of research on our part to determine when and how, you know, how this is going to happen. Uh, The other thing I want to comment on is just my personal observation. When you talk about training, um, and, and we mentioned this earlier, Cam and I were talking before we started recording, You know, when you train for an event or an activity, I think typically there is an expectation of progression. You are trying to get better at something. Just like these kids that are over in Des Moines at the Muay Thai tournament. They've been training for a year at least to prepare for this. You know, each training session, there is intent to get better, to improve. I don't know that I see that all the time when we talk about occupational safety training. 
you know, we have this recurring every year I have to do this training and we just kind of regurgitate the same gibberish that maybe we presented the year before and without any expectation necessarily that our employees are going to actually improve. And I think that's a missed opportunity. You know, um, if you look back, like take a, take a standard, a regulation like confined space entry, for example. We are required to maintain our entry permits, the permits that we've written prior to entering a confined space. We, re- we, we retain those for a year. And the intent behind that is so that we can review these permits, look for any issues that might have come up, make sure that we are completing the permits accurately, but, but look to see if we had any deviations in, you know, contaminant concentrations or if anything went wrong in any of these entries that we can learn from and improve upon. And so if it was me, I would use that information um, on an annual basis to go back and, and revisit and retrain my confined space entry team with the intent of improving how we do those entries, you know. So if there are opportunities for improving, I would take advantage of those from a training standpoint. Sometimes it's just enough just to revisit something, you know, informationally, just to get it back on their minds, get our employees' minds, refresh it a little bit. That's fine. But if we are truly doing training and not just information, let's make sure that we are doing so with the intent of improving, okay? Um, there, is a, there is a regulation that I want to, I'm just going to read from one of the regulations. It's kind of interesting to me, and I think it, it really distinguishes between information and training. I'm talking about um, fire extinguishers, okay? 1910-157, this is OSHA's fire extinguisher regulation. Most of you know that. But when you look at the training section, subpart G, it talks about training and education, and it distinguishes specifically between education and training. I'm going to just give you a taste of this. Where the employer has provided portable fire extinguishers for employee use in the workplace, the employer shall also provide an educational program to familiarize employees with the general principles of fire extinguisher use and the hazards involved with incipient stage firefighting. So... If we've got fire extinguishers in our facility and they are available for employee use, we need to educate them. We need to just basically, you know, talk to them about basic fire extinguisher use, the general principles. You know, we oftentimes use the PASS acronym, you know, pull the pin, aim the nozzle, squeeze the handle, sweep the nozzle, that kind of thing. Okay? That's educational. If you read further in this regulation, and that says that will be done annually. So this educational piece will be repeated annually. Um... If you read further, it talks about the employer shall provide employees who have been designated to use firefighting equipment as part of of an emergency action plan with training in the use of the appropriate equipment, okay? So this is different. This isn't just informational. If If we have designated employees to basically fight incipient stage fires, we want this core group of employees to dump a fire extinguisher on a early stage fire, then we have to train them on how to use that fire extinguisher, not just show them, not just give them information. You take them out into the parking lot, you construct that controlled fire situation, you allow them to actually go through the process of dumping a fire extinguisher on a fire so they can experience that. And and that, to me, this particular example really distinguishes the difference between educational and training um, focus, okay? So 
Um, keep that in mind. We, we do a lot of education. That's great. We give a lot of information. All great. But if we are truly training employees how to do something, you know, I think um, we need to keep in mind that they need to, to acquire a skill as a result of this interaction. You know, um, I'll close with, uh, like, the, the powered industrial truck regulation, okay? If you look at 1910-178, powered industrial trucks, subpart L, and yes, it's t- terrifying that I've actually memorized all this crap, you know, but after 35 years, it's, it is what it is. But the training subpart paragraph in the forklift standard basically says that training will be composed of three parts. There will be a formal training piece where you are actually sitting in a classroom or you are watching a video or you are, you know, this is the educational piece where we are conveying this information to the, the future operators. Then there is a practical piece where you actually take them out to the lift, get them on the lift, show them how, to, how the lift operates, how the controls work, how it feels to drive and operate something. The trainer will be there with them during this portion. And then there is an observational piece, this certification piece, where now you've, you've given them the education, you've given them the practical experience, and now you put them through some type of a practical test where you observe them and make sure that they understand all the things that we've communicated, that they, are, they now have acquired this skill set. And then if they do so you know, to a satisfactory level, then you certify them and they can go operate your forklifts. Okay, if they don't, then maybe we need to go back through some of those previous training elements to make sure that they do. And then we need to keep an eye on them periodically. We need to go out there and verify, again, that they've actually learned what we've intended to teach them. So, you know, I think, I think that model is a great model for training on anything in, in workplace safety and health, you know. I mean, formal training, practical, maybe a hands-on component. And then some type of observation certification, that verification piece. That's a great model for everything. So um, the bottom line is OSHA expects us to identify hazards in our workplace and train our employees to, to recognize those and to protect themselves from those hazards. And that, that pertains to everything that we do. There are no exceptions. There may be a regulation that states it specifically, but there may not be. And under the general duty requirement, we, we just have to do that. If you look in the construction standards, 1926-20, I think, or 21, one of those two, it just tells us, you know, you got to train your employees. And it doesn't get into the weeds. It doesn't give us all the details. We need to figure that out. And so just keep in mind that if you are asking your employees to do something, you know, there is a work task or work activity, and we have conducted a JHA, just like Jim Steele explained to us last week. We've identified the tasks. We know what the hazards are. We know how we intend to control those hazards. Train your employees on that and, uh, you know, keep an eye on them, surveil them periodically to make sure that they understand, and we should be good. And then just remember that when we train them again, the intention is that we actually improve that skill set, okay? And if we're doing that, I think we're doing a great job, and um, everything will hopefully then work out the way that we intend it to, so... We will continue on with more conversation about training. I'll bring some more guys in here who actually know what they're doing. I obviously don't. <laughs> you know, I've had, I don't train people, right? I just critique your training. So that's easy from my standpoint, okay? So um, I think we're going to wrap it up. We made it about 30 minutes on my own. 
Yeah, that's any, pretty solid. Yeah. Any closing comments, man? No, that's it, man. You you nailed it. There. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> Did you get any training on safety when you came to work here at Herdat Media? Well, there's not a whole lot of hazards here. Oh, unless dude, like come these on. lights fall out of the sky or something. I, I, I trip over a cord almost every day. Well, every, I try to put those cords here. out after everybody's seated. Oh, that's because good. of that. So that's just my own training <laughs> right. that I've like developed. Yes. Like, oh, don't I've, I've tripped over the cords. So I'm like, oh, let's not have that happen to anybody else, right? <laughs> that's right. Hey, man. Sometimes tripping over the cord is the most dangerous thing in the work environment you know and hanging so. out with you every week definitely <laughs> makes me look about oh hell yeah hey all right what do i need to avoid around here i know so, man. yeah you, so you've helped me in that regard. isn't it true though i mean are you yeah. seeing things out in the community that you may have otherwise not paid attention to? yeah for sure oh yeah isn't that interesting yep and, and I that's mean, only since we've been hanging out every yeah. week, you know? Yeah. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with our employees. Just plant the seed. They start to see those things. Hopefully, we can get them moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's inevitable. Everybody wants to be a safety person, <laughs> I think. Or doesn't want to be, but when it happens to you, you, you know it. Or, yeah, you know, at least so. uh, recognize it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, all right, guys. Uh, have a great weekend. Um, next week, I think Aaron is going to be back in. We're going to be talking about leadership. And we'll get a summary of how everybody did over at the championships. Thanks again to my sponsors, fellas. You know, you know I love you and I appreciate it. Um, everybody reach out to Kristen. Hook up with Send her an email. At least get that conversation going. I guarantee that she does something that would benefit your employees. So hook up with her. Get that ball rolling. Other than that, have a great weekend. I am looking forward to... You know, some cooler temperatures rolling in here and uh, maybe actually being able to sit on my deck again. Well, yeah, it's Father's Day weekend, too. It is Father's Day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every day is Father's Day at my house, (laughs) (laughs) As, as my wife would tell you. So thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. A Hoodat Media Production.